contrast between um, the old covenant and new covenant prophets. So I just wanted to share some of these with you. And uh, I think because we've been talking about the prophetic, then we're going to just talk about some of these things like the, the handkerchiefs, the anointed oil, wearing veils. We're going to talk about some of those things tonight. I'm not planning on um, be, it being all drawn out, but I want to do that. And I think this is necessary, looking at these major contrasts between the old covenant and the new covenant, because so much mixture from the old covenant, people elevate things from the old covenant more than they elevate things from the new covenant. And I think it's a point of confusion for us. So for example, I just wanted to give some examples. Old covenant prophets were sent by God and they were raised up after the pattern of the Levites, after the pattern of the law. A lot of the prophets came from those type of, of that. Well, those prophets came from that doctrine. And I gave you two scriptures that basically say that um, so that you will know that I'm not making it up. I'm not putting the, the likenesses here but we're really just looking at the differences. And so in the new covenant, you see that God redefines the prophet, the office of the prophet, because once Jesus is crucified and, and resurrected as the Christ, and then we see in scripture, Matthew 23, 34, where Jesus said, I am sending you prophets. Then we see um, Jesus tell us in Ephesians 4 11 that he gave gifts that he gave gifts so we also know that Jesus did not come as a Levite he didn't even he destroyed that entire order and we know that he came to us through the order of Melchizedek because the book of Hebrews tells us that it says he was not a Levite and he came down through the line of Judah, which is a line of worship, the line of praise. And he came through the priestly order of Melchizedek, which is a, 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 a pre-look at the new covenant today. So first and foremost, what Jesus gave us in the new covenant was a whole new paradigm for understanding the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But unfortunately today, a lot of people still drag in, I'm a prophet like Jeremiah, let's look at Jeremiah's life. And my challenge here to you is let's look at how Jesus lived as a prophet. So um, the old covenant prophet was basically just to the nation of Israel. People forget that. Those prophets were not prophesying to everybody on the planet. They were really just dealing with the nation of Israel. That is a fact. That is something that is non-disputable in all of theology. You can guarantee that that's what they're going to tell you. Those prophets intervene in government on behalf of the nation of Israel, but only because the nations were coming against the, um, the, uh, the nation of Israel. Um, when I say the nations, because those kings we're trying to take the property, the land, enslave the people, you know, things like that happened in God in the way things were in the Old Testament under the law would send nations against the church. But all of those patterns were old covenant. So I just wanted to share that because in the new covenant, in the new covenant, prophets are released to the global church, specifically within their communities. How do we know? 
Well, first, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, then Ephesians 4, 11, lots of other scriptures to support this. And, and uh, those are the only two I'm going to give, but I think they're important because we need to understand that, um, that our communities is where God builds his church. And, there, and so now that the gospel has spread all over the world, we're supposed to have churches and synagogues. We don't have one priest anymore leading everybody. We don't have, you know, we have multiple groups like Paul demonstrated when he planted those churches in, um, in the early church. So that's where this comes from. I think it'll help you. The reason why I'm sharing it with you before Bible study tonight is for those that are serious and you're really serious about knowing God's heart, about prophets and prophecy, I just trust that you're going to do your own Bible study. You're going to begin to look at some of these things within the context that we teach within the conservatory. So we need to understand that prophets of old were fully under the law. That changed their modus operandi. You know, how they did things were different because they were under rules and regulations. Prophets of the new covenant are born of grace through the shed blood of Jesus, which elevates their calling into a higher place because it is a better covenant. It's better, it's better, it's better. So if you go through this, this will set you free. If some of you are wondering, you know, do you have any classes? I teach on the writing prophet, but a lot of that, if you took that course, you already know a lot of that is what you're going to get when we start teaching on the prophets and the apostles. But I think that I think that um, it's going to bless you because there's some things I didn't put here. I've learned not to put everything God gets me and gives to me in a document. That way, if it's stolen, the two or three very key things people won't, won't have. I'll be able to put it in a book and publish the book and it'll explain the whole counsel of it. Whereas people who take your content and then start doing other things with it don't realize that they don't have those other pieces. So it saves me and it lets me be able to own it. Not that I'm trying to own it for anything selfish, but I think it's important, just like it was in the Bible, that those that God sends, that their legacy is for the people that they are raising up. So please go inside the um, Scribal Conservatory group if you're interested in this and download the PDF. You don't have to sign up for anything, but you do have to go get it. I'm not collecting email addresses or anything from this, but I think it's so important that I put it out there and um, bring it because we're helping people understand that Jesus is the standard. He's the standard and that helps us. So if you want that resource, go ahead and grab it. But welcome everybody. Oh my goodness. <laughs> welcome, 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 welcome. This is wonderful to see all of you. And so I'm glad that it's, we're already recording. We're not going to stop that. I'm just going to jump right into the Bible study. Father, we thank you for um, bringing us together tonight. I thank you for every soul that is here. I thank you for how you're going to lead and guide and direct us. I ask, Father, that you give me the steps of how to walk through this tonight so that we can talk about some of the things that we do in the church, like anointing oil and handkerchiefs and 
all of those kinds of things so that we can have clarity and understanding in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. First, I want to say thank you for even bringing up the question, but instead of doing PowerPoint, we're going to focus on the word. We're going to go straight to the scripture so that we can build the foundation and then bring ourselves into being able to have a conversation about this. First, before I start, I want to let you know that this is not a conversation about, oh, look at the church and what they're doing. Everybody's wrong. That's not what this conversation is about. There are, there's lots of grace for the things that people do, you know, using oil, the, the feeling that they need to cover themselves with a cloth in order to pray, um, feeling that a handkerchief can heal you. So people are where they are. This is not the conversation of pointing, saying, look at them. Oh my God, everybody is wrong and we are right. That is not the position of this conversation. So I want to say that, and I'm probably going to say that over and over and over again. I use anointed oil. I don't do the, the, the cloths or anything like that. I just never thought about it. It's not, you know, it's just not something I've ever been unctioned to do. And I've never bought them or gotten them from anybody or anything like that. So I just want to let you know that this is not a place where we're going to be attacking people for the things that they do, because we don't know what God has instructed anybody to do really, but what, but ourselves. So I want to say that, but we are going to talk about what happens when we cross into areas and they become, um, we use things as talisman or as magic. We're going to check that out and we're going to see some of it talked about in scripture. And we're going to understand where some of those things come from and why people do them. We talk a lot about um, people mixing the covenants. Like I grew up in the faith with almost everything that I was taught was from the old covenant. It's like they just skipped all over Jesus and just went straight to the law. So my background, uh, and when I, I'm talking as a little girl, that's why I was so afraid of, of salvation. That's why I, I didn't come to the Lord sooner because all I saw was the, the yoke, the yoke. I didn't see the, um, you know, the, the, my um, yoke is easy and my burden is light. I didn't see that part. I saw the opposite. Everything was yoke. And so a lot of us were in those types of environments. So as we talk tonight, feel free to come in in the chat because it's going to be a talk. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, it tells us, I, I just want to read this in context. It may look like it's not um, relevant, but it really is, because sometimes we pull out scriptures and we don't see how the whole conversation works. But I want you to just put your listening ear on, and we're going to walk through this. It's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1. It says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some other epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendations from you? Paul is literally talking about um, people walking around with licenses and certifications saying, look at me. I got a letter telling me I'm qualified. Who are you? I have a degree telling me I'm qualified. You don't have that. So this is what was really going on in this passage of scripture. And I know we have interpreted this in many ways, but I believe those interpretations are accurate 
because we have to know that we are letters and we are epistles. So verse two, he tells them, he said, look, these people walking around with all this paperwork trying to convince you of who they are. But I need you to know that you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. In other words, um, Paul is pulling them into the realm of the spirit. He's taking them out of the natural realm and saying, listen, we are, we are, we are qualified by spirit. That's what he's telling them. And he says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. In other words, Paul is saying, we raised you up. We know what's in you. We know that God is with you and your epistle doesn't need ink. In other words, it doesn't need the signature of men, but because you have the signature of the living God and your tablet is not written on stone, which he was calling them religious. That's what that means. He said he was calling the people attacking them religious. He said, because they're, they're, they're going by religious order. They're saying you have to go to seminary to be a preacher. They're saying you, basically that's what he's saying, not on tablet. So it's a really a smart way of saying that. He said, but so your tablets are tablets of flesh proven by what Jesus has done. That is of the heart. And um, that's the literal meaning of that passage of scripture. It was a whole conversation about them being attacked by other people in the church, religious people attacking people who are walking in the spirit. That's, that's what that's about. So he, he goes on and he says, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is very important because the religious people, even though in their own way, they believed that they were serving God, they were, they were not able to let go of Moses as their high priest. So I, I really need you to see that if you're able to really kind of follow what I'm saying. I know many of you already understand this passage, but I want to make sure that you're able to follow me while I'm talking, because if we don't get this part, the rest of what I'm sharing is going to, you know, it's just not going to flow well. It's not going to flow well. So we have to trust that we have to, because he keeps telling them we, we're, we're under the high priest of Jesus now. I mean, of Christ now, the, uh, the, the resurrected Christ. We're under that right now. I need you to understand spirit. So basically it wouldn't have, nothing would have been wrong with them having their degrees and their letters because in the natural realm, there are places and access that you have to go to get that. But the problem here was, is that they were, that the people were, that the people with the letters and the accommodations and all the credentials were trying to disqualify the people that did not have them. And when you use what you have to disqualify other people, that's when it becomes a problem. <laughs> so you can't disqualify somebody from a calling because they don't have credentials that are rooted in the world system, right? So religion will do that to you. And that's what Paul is saying. So, so this is what is really taking place here 
from a plain black and white historical perspective. This is the conversation they are having. They're dealing with the real issue that is taking place in the church at Corinth. And so we interpret it in our time, but in their time, Paul was battling a serious situation that was really discouraging a lot of the people that could never afford or wasn't in a class type to be able to get the credentials that these people had. They had more struggle of getting in position back then than we even do now because, um, you know, you had rich and poor. You had royalty and you had had dust and dirt, so to speak. And so it's just, it's a lot of the same thing that we see today. So that religious spirit was real strong. So he said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves. In other words, don't get the big head, even though you are led by the spirit, don't get the big head because we're nothing without Christ, basically is what he's saying. But the power of Christ made us sufficient as ministers, listen, of a new covenant. And Paul always stressed, and so did Jesus, but he always stressed the fact that we were in a new covenant because remember, this is the first establishment of church in history. So all the people who are around them that do believe in God, they've only known Moses for centuries, centuries. So it's really hard for them to pull people out of Moses as high priest into Christ as high priest. So this is the religious battle they're facing. And we're still facing that battle today because people just, they just don't understand how Jesus is the word made flesh, how, how, how Christ is now sitting on the right hand of the father. They understand it in words and in scripture, but in their mind, there are still two separate things taking place. They're still thinking that it's all one covenant and, it, and it's not, it's not that, that Christ really broke through something brand new. He really did. He really flipped the script. He really did. So this is what he is trying to convince them of so they won't be confused. Let's keep going. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. I want you to hear that again. I, I'm just going to say this part. So Paul is saying that the ministry of, of the law, the old covenant that Moses established, that the Levitical order was of a ministry of death, right? What does he mean? It was of no effect once Christ came because you had to strive so much. You literally had to live in perfection. You needed a priest to do a blood walk for you, make altars and sacrifice, burnt offerings to the Lord. So without those burnt offerings, there was nothing that those people could do to ensure their salvation. So this is really important because Christ took this burden away and he gave us 
perfect promises and perfect guarantees. And, and I know this looks strange when we're, when we're talking about prayer clause and all of that, but if we can understand a little bit about this, then a whole lot of that is going to make sense to you in a moment if we can just walk through it. So Paul says to them, he says, um, look, he said, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, and it was for them because it was their pathway of salvation back then. So at that time, it was glorious. It was perfect. It was what they needed. It was what they had to do. So the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because listen, that covenant was built on a human because of the glory of his countenance, which glory, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the spirit be more glorious? So Paul is saying, I'm trying to get y'all to see that Jesus, that Christ brought us the, Jesus Christ brought us the ministry of the spirit so that we would have a more glorious experience. One free of labor, one free of striving, one free of our own action. So basically, Christ, when Christ said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he was giving all of us access in, in a way to be our own high priest because now he calls us kings and priests in the earth. And so our role as a priest unto Christ is not a Levitical role as a priest unto Christ, but as a role of saying, I bring myself to the altar and I lay down who I am so I can take up the mantle of Christ. It's just saying, I say yes to the spirit. I say yes to the spirit. That's all that means. Because a lot of people will tell us, I'm a king and a priest, and they're confused because they're, they're looking at the Levites. They're looking at the priesthood of the Levites and thinking that, you know, that, that that's the same thing. And it is not. It is not the same thing. It's two completely different applications. Paul goes on and he says, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness, which is your choice to follow the Lord, to take up your cross and follow him, exceeds much more in glory. So this is what we teach in the conservatory. And I've been long overdue of digging this out. So we're just going to take this Bible study to look at it a little bit. Verse 10 says, and it says, for even what was made glorious, listen to this, had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. Christ excels the glory of the old covenant. Oh God, I need you to understand this part. Christ's glory exceeds any glory that transpired in the old covenant. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a prayer cloth over his face, 
or a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily upon at the end of what was passing away. We know they're really talking about that glory that came upon his face and he shone so bright. But it says their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains. In other words, they're still looking upon the glory of Moses. Can you guys see that now? This is very important. Most of the church is still looking upon the glory of Moses. So you're going to see them whip out their prayer calls and rebuke you because you don't have one. You're going to see people not want to pray for you because they don't feel like the oil is anointed. You're going to see people do things that, you know, you're going to see people have whole events where they're walking in the Ark of the Covenant. It's beautiful to watch. The presence of God shows up. But do they know that they don't have to do that in order for the Lord to present himself? You follow what I'm sharing with you? Will God visit? Yes, he will. Are they wrong? No, they're not wrong. But is there something greater than what they're trying to pull up from the archives? Are they living in God's past and forcing him to meet them there? Or are they living in God's presence, his now place and his now position? God could have told someone, hey, bring the Ark of the Covenant in. But the only reason he would speak to them that way, and hear me in the spirit when I say this, is because that's where their mindset is anyway. Wherever you are in your theology and in your belief, that is as high as you can go in your understanding. I want to know that you're still with me. So if you believe that you can't be blessed unless you tithe, you, you won't be blessed unless you tithe, <laughs> right? You, 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 I, I hope you're still following. I believe in tithing, I do, but not under the law. Don't, don't get it twisted. I believe in that. But I believe in it because of a revelation on, on giving, not because on law. So I'm just, I'm just moving us along, trying to give us examples. I want you to see this part too. He says in verse 12, therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing by. But their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veils remain unlifted in the reading of the old covenant. In other words, they still cover their head to read the Bible and pray. They have no revelation of what has been accomplished. That's what Paul is saying. He's not saying call them heathens. He's not saying they're not saved. He's saying this is where they're at, but you can't get caught in it and go backwards 
because this is where all those people with those credentials and rules and robes and balls and hats and all of that, this is where they are. You don't go back there. Honor where they are, but it's not for you because you have received greater teaching and greater impartation from me. This is what Paul is telling them. But he says in verse 15, but even to this day when Moses is read, oh my goodness, a veil lies on the heart. In other words, he said, after all of this teaching we've done, they go and read the old covenant and all they see is Moses. They cannot see Christ. We have to be able to read the old covenant. Like for, I'll give you a perfect example. I can't be on prayer calls where people are praying things like, scatter my enemies, all of that stuff. Because I have to take everything that was sufficient from the old covenant and I have to put Jesus on top of it because Jesus said, no, forget of 70, seven times 70, 70 times seven. He said, pray for your enemy, pray for the, so, okay, what does that mean? That means all of those scriptures on going to get people, on killing them, I got to flip that to the better way. The better way is leave them alone. God, they're yours. Don't scatter them. I'm praying for the Lord of the harvest now. God, I pray a harvest over my enemy. I pray that they will come into the knowledge of who you are. Save them, God. That's what I pray. Because of Jesus. But when we can't shift from, from God of Moses, of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of whatever, back then, if we can't, step into Jesus, we're missing what he accomplished. We're missing what he did. Okay, so with that said, I believe we're on the same place. We're on the same, um, in the same place. So I'm going to close that because we're not going to come back to it. I want to remind you of something else. Um, we're going to, I didn't mean to do James just yet, but I want you to see, um, this just this passage therefore we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us let us run with the endurance the race set before us looking unto jesus in other words no matter what what we're doing and what we're teaching everything that we set before us has to be jesus it has to be Christ over Moses. It has to be Christ over Paul. It has to be Christ over Peter. It has to be Christ over Jeremiah. It has to be Christ over Habakkuk. It I, I want you to understand that Christ is the greatest prophet that ever walked the earth. Johnny Mercer told us, he said, look, there's one coming greater than me. He, he, he Jeremiah, um, um, Johnny Mercer was a prophet, but he said, there's one coming greater than me. Oh my goodness. There is one coming greater than me. There is one coming greater than me. 
Either greater means greater or it means less. I mean, either greater is greater or it means less. I, I don't know how else to say that, but it is a place that we have to get to and we can only get to that place if we're teachable. Sometimes when we're hearing people teach, we're coming up with alternatives to what they're saying. We're pulling on what we've always been taught. That's not being teachable. That's not being teachable. So we have to make absolutely sure that we're not in that place. Teachable people will consider things different than what they have casually believed. And if you need to understand that, I, want, I hope I've given you enough to read the letters of Paul differently. Because most of Paul's fight was pulling people out of law into life, death to life, death to life, death to life. Most of his letters was about pulling people out of death to life. And if you look at Jesus's ministry, he taught death to life. He did the same thing. In fact, he said, I am the way. And he talks about how the word, he, what everything was written about him before he manifested in the earth. So we have a lot of choices and decisions to make. This is important because it's hard for a leader that's teaching people um, what the new, what the real kingdom looks like um, by the mercy and grace of Jesus. So by Jesus saying, pray for your enemies, he put scatter your enemies. He made that ineffective. I'm not saying, Lord, I pray that you get the Lord, move the people out of my life that are trying to hurt me, but I want them saved. I'm not saying you can't pray like that, but you don't pray death upon them. You don't send out curses. And, you know, there are special circumstances in which those things happened in scripture. I want you to understand that. And we're going to look at one of those circumstances tonight. There are situations that did take place in which people had to circumvent their prayer differently. So I, I want you to know that. But maturity, when we begin to learn the mature things of, the God, of God and we begin to walk in the mature things of God, we'll be able to rightly discern when that is happening. Somebody talking about you is not a reason to be fighting about your enemy. That's childish behavior. That's low-level warfare. That's, that's just, that's kid stuff. We have to move into a place where we can identify when real trouble is ahead. It's like being talked about and called names is the lowest ring of warfare you can get to. And I hope that's helping somebody. And I hope that it's opening our eyes to let us see that when you know when you you start getting trouble, when that kind of stuff start elevates to people building websites around you, calling you a heretic, and they're trying, they're going everywhere they can to, I mean, beyond your little group of friends and everybody you know in your city to make your life a living hell. So, you know, we we have to know what what what's what. We have to know what's what. If, if, if all you're concerned about is your haters, that's real low level. Real low level stuff. So um, 
you know, I wanted us to make sure that we realize that our mandate is to look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. Um, here we are. Oh, I think I just closed something we needed, but we're good. I'm going to keep it moving. All right. So, um, hmm, where do I want to go from here? We could, there's a lot of things we could do. I could go to 1 Corinthians 3 and we could reread the passage of scripture about, um, about another passage of scripture where Paul is pulling them out of the place of Moses and um, into the place of Christ. But if you hearing and really listening tonight, you'll be able to open up your Bible um, after this and you'll be able to see what he was teaching those people through a different lens. Your lens will have an added dimension to it if you've never considered the gospel this way before or the message of, of discipleship and training and equipping this way before. Some people think discipleship is just for babies, but I believe we're constantly in a place where we're having our foundations clarified. And um, so I, I, I don't mind being on an, an endless discipling journey with the Lord. I don't count it lesser than to be in a place where people are, are teaching foundations because that's we have more trouble when the foundations have been um, corrupted by people's revelation without understanding intention. <laughs> you know, so sometimes we have to crack all that down and go back and um, get things cleared off so we can understand. Hello, Teresa. I think God is doing that with me every day, every day, every day, every day. Oh my goodness. I don't even remember why I pulled this up. Oh yeah, here I am. I want to share this with you. So I want you to um, see this part. We're going to look at this. This is John 14. And do I want to read all that? So Jesus is talking to his disciples and he or his apostles, however you want to look at it. And he's telling them he's getting ready to transition into his ultimate purpose. And um, I just want to just lay here on verse six real quick. Just verse six, because we all know this. I don't want to teach this. But there was a, Jesus said um, to him, he said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only reason I wanted to highlight this passage, and we've talked about so much from um, this particular book, that I believe we don't really need to teach on it now. But this is important to, to me and important to this moment because it redirects us to looking at Jesus. Again, it's fortifying that truth that Jesus is our greatest example. So when we talk to people, just like I showed you that list of contrasts between old covenant prophet and new covenant prophet, it's, it's sad to me that people will fight you over stuff like that when all you're really doing is trying to reveal Christ to them over Moses. That's all you're trying to do. You're trying to tell them, listen, I know this is what prophets did in the Old Testament. I know this is what it looked like under the Old Covenant, but I want you to see the refreshing 
that Jesus brought. I want you to see what Jesus gave birth to. I want you to see what his order looks like. I want you to see what's fresh because Jesus did not resurrect the lineage of Aaron. He did not resurrect the Levitical priesthood. He did not bring that back into existence. He shut it down. He shut it down. But can we learn from that? Yes. Are the words and the lessons still true? Yes, they are still true if they're interpreted through Jesus. Now, that brings me um, to this simple point. And because it's a Bible study, I don't have time to go through all the scriptures on anointing oil and all the scriptures on, on prayer cloths and all the scriptures on all of those other things. But I want to give you this to think about. And I want you to hear me as I teach it. Let me see what this is real quick. Oh yeah, that's the one on oil. And this is the one where everybody got the teaching about handkerchiefs and stuff. So what I want you to do when you get time or if you're thinking about it, um, I want you to realize that um, miracles, signs, and wonders in the old covenant um, often, you know, uh, they came differently than they did in the new covenant. I know we don't think about that, but then and I probably need to do another chart. In the old covenant, God's presence hung around objects. He set presence up in tents and buildings. Um, you know, we had you had the tabernacle and you had the phases of the tabernacle and you had to walk through a physical place of habitation to get into the holy of holies. You had um, the articles that were inside the Ark of the Covenant. They represented different things. And you, if you touch something that was um, considered a holy object back then, zip, zip, zoop, zoop, you could be gone in seconds. One of the biggest contrasts between presence in the old covenant and presence in the new covenant is that presence in the old covenant was, was it came by way of objects. I want you to follow me. It came by way of garments, it came by way of certain fabrics representing certain things. It came by way of certain incense and oils. It came by way of bells and pomegranates. And are you all with me? It was symbolic. Even Holy Spirit was nothing but a visitation in the old covenant. Holy Spirit came upon, he visited. Visitation was the key in the old covenant. The people in the old covenant were waiting on a savior. They were waiting on a deliverer. They were waiting on a breakthrough. I want you to just get that in your spirit. I want you to review Hebrews 11 and realize that none of them got to see the promise. Not one of them lived to see the promise of the objects that they created. Oh my goodness. 
Oh my goodness. So God would say, make this oil for me. He would say, let's look, I want this fragrance to go out. He would say, look, build this altar for me. Go get this, this animal for me. Burn it. I mean, he would, oh my goodness. Objects were their way of life. Jesus came and he fulfilled all of that. He fulfilled the incense. He fulfilled the fragrance. He fulfilled the oil. All of the objects. And look, this, this, is, the, this is the most beautiful part. He put the very spirit that gave them visitation on the inside of us for habitation. Are you following? We received the oil already. We received the testimony. We received, we didn't receive the bread of Aaron now. We didn't receive that, but we've received some of the other things that were released. We don't have to wait. We have a deliverer. Salvation has come. Healing is the children's bread because healing is on the inside of us. Well, I hope you all are following my, my version of how I'm trying to tell this to you. So here in um, Acts 19, let's just, let's just read. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> so these are disciples and they're still following the, following the teachings, you can say, of John. Because he said they're disciples. So they have not heard that there even is a Holy Spirit, which means that it, that Holy Spirit hasn't been activated in their lives. And then he said to them, into what were you baptized? And they answered the question. They said, into John's baptism. This is why I'm sharing you, this with you because some people are still baptized. They're not baptized at all. They're in the works of Moses. Can you see it? They're not even in John's baptism. They're not even in John's baptism. They're not even in John's baptism. They're in a religious system's baptism. Full of rules and regulations that are unto death. So Paul, this is what he did. He said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him that is on Christ Jesus. So now we see Paul not only having to come against the religious system of Moses, but now he's coming against the idolatry 
that people shaped around John. And John never led people to himself. He always led people to Jesus. But even after John was beheaded and you see Paul come across this group of disciples, they're still preaching John. They have not made the connection of Christ. Oh my God. It's just right here in scripture. They're still struggling to understand. And I'm sure John told them there's one coming greater than me. And, you know, John had disciples. His disciples went out and disciples. They had to know what happened to John. So why didn't they automatically begin flipping to Jesus? So if John's gone, that means everything John taught us must be in effect. But they, they had not crossed over. <laughs> People love getting stuck. People love their mountains. People love their mountains and they worship at their mountains and they live their lives just like the children of Israel and they die on their mountains. They're still saved, but they die on their mountains. They still love God, but they shout on their mountains. To them, they're having visitations and that's good for them. Even though there is more, they don't care because they happy and they feel like God with them. So they die on their mountains. Oh, but listen to this. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does this mean? It means they received. They didn't ask him questions. Because all of a sudden they remembered the good ground that John's gospel and his baptism had taught them. They were immediately able to make the connection because the ground was good. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Now listen, because Paul was filled with the Spirit, because Paul understood the weight and the release of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the coming of Christ on the inside of him, because he had understanding and because the apostles' um, de declarations and decrees said that, uh, that God was giving them power to cast out this and cast out that, to tread upon this and tread upon that, to preach the gospel, because it was given to them, the Holy Spirit on the inside of God could move through acts of faith. Are you all following me? He could move through acts of faith. The people of that time understood anointing oil. I want you to hear me. The people of that time understood anointing oil. If you walk through Jesus's ministry, Jesus always used tools that connected people with their past so they could see their present. 
Not everything is so super spiritual. People understood laying on of hands. And it was something Jesus still practiced, even though it was practiced in the Old Testament too. Jesus kept that. People understand touch. People understand compassion. People understand and expect miracle signs and wonders. So in these types of instances where there is grace and it is God and not a circus act, we can see God release things. But remember, Paul had evidence and he had power in his life. He had proof that superseded his attendance at this encounter. Oh my goodness. There's power in laying on hands. When it's laid on in the right situation where the right grace is released. Absolutely. <laughs> so and when Paul laid hands on them, Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues. I was able to receive Holy Spirit instantly without the laying on of hands. Because in my past, I had already been taught in some areas of my life. I had already been taught. So it wasn't a new introduction. Even though I wasn't saved, I'd heard that stuff before I even knew the Lord. But understanding came to me the moment I received the spirit of the Lord. And I knew the spirit of the Lord was in me because I began to hear my spirit rumble. There are people listening now um, on this Bible study tonight, and you all had encounters with the Lord where nobody was there and you were filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? That means religion cannot determine how you receive the Holy Spirit, right? That's what that means. Simple as that. <laughs> Laying on of hands was necessary in this situation. But in another situation, God could come another way. Religion says you can only be released in such and such and such if you have hands laid on you. But there are too many instances in the realm of the spirit where God did things with people however he felt, whatever the circumstance required, however he desired. I hope this is making sense to you. I'm getting to the end. We only have one more scripture to look at. So they were filled with the spirit. Now, and listen to this, what I thought was amazing. Now the men were about 12 in all. <laughs> Paul ran in the 12 men. It wasn't orchestrated. He was passing by. And that encounter happened. And he went into the synagogues and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, not of him, but of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples. So those that received, he took them out of that circus. See, this is what I was sharing with you earlier. There are certain circumstances where an evil is present because they weren't just attacking Paul. They were attacking the teachings. 
They were attacking the teachings that had just set this group of 12 men free. So Paul, in his um, apostolic role, he said, look, I'm leading you right now. I'm asking you to leave where you are and come with me, or these people are going to corrupt you. So he had to pull them out. Lots of instances like this, because some people don't feel like you have the right to say, you don't worship with them. Don't listen to that teaching. Don't, but don't do this. Well, if you tell me you're aligned with the vision of the conservatory, you've given me permission to share with you what you should eat. It's all through the new covenant. But if you want to go over there and eat and boo-boo fail and get sick, go ahead. I had to make a decision. Dr. K gave me an ultimatum. She said, I'm mentoring you. But if I am mentoring you, you cannot have all these other voices in your ear. You need to decide because I'm not going to waste my time. She said it just like I just said it to you. I'm not wasting my time if I don't have your ear. I had to trust that she was the voice that I needed in my ear and I let everybody else go. Because I needed that. I needed what she had more than I needed what they had. Plus, them people didn't have time to um, really teach me, uh, um, except they didn't respect my ministry, anything. So I had to figure out what God had said. But I knew instantly. I'm just giving you this example. You'll see it with Jesus and his disciples. You'll see it. It's all through the new covenant. It's a thing. But listen to this. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So we know that that was some kind of um, pharisaical place. And what I mean by that, a place that the Pharisees gathered or the Sadducees gathered, or the Essenes, Herodians, whoever gathered, and he was in one of their learning facilities. Because they had a lot of those Solomon Porch type places where philosophers gathered to um, debate. They had a lot of rhetoric going on. They had high learning society in Greek culture. We forget that sometimes. These were very well-educated, brilliant people. Brilliant. So Paul had to bring his, he had to bring nothing but the spirit in those types of environments. But this is what happens next. So he, so as this continued for two years, so we've already two years, two years and three months later, according to these first 10 passages from when we got to, from when we have, and when it happened until verse 10, it's two years and three months later. So verse 11, it tells us, now, God worked unusual miracles by Paul's hand. I'm going to say that again. Now, God worked unusual miracles by Paul's hand, by the hands of Paul, by the hands of Paul, by the hands. That was Paul's grace. That was Paul's unction. That was Paul's calling. Now, JoJo and Church ABCD all trying to do the same thing. Now, I want you, this is what's happening in the church, and this is why people are confused. This is why, just listen to this. 
Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Now I want you to hear, and poets, absolutely. I want you to hear this part. Listen to verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. They thought they were going to get a little handkerchief. They thought they were going to get a little oil. They thought they were going to get a little formula together. And now they're going to copy him. That is what has happened in the church. I want you to see it in scripture. That wasn't their grace. That was Paul's grace. So now you got this. So I'm going to be itinerant Jewish exorcist, which is a curious way to say that. In other words, the religious folks who got an idea of how to grow their church and how to make themselves center stage, they're going to get together and they're going to figure out how to sell anointed oil, how to how to sell handkerchiefs in an envelope. They're going to figure out how to pray over something, I, I, I spit and give. This is what was happening. Now, these were not devils. This was the church. Paul represent the spirit. These people represent religion. Now look at what the devil does when it starts looking at all of these people. Now this is a devil situation. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva. Do you all see this? The spirit is there. The counterfeits is there. And you got heathens watching. Huh? Because the church can't get in order. People can't take their place. The unsaved who are already practicing sorcery. Oh my God. Listen to this. And there were seven sons of Sceva. <laughs> A Jewish chief priest who did so. Oh my God. Talk about the circus in effect now. Whoa! But look at this. An evil spirit answered. Oh, they don't conjure up something. Please follow me. Conjuring. Conjuring. An evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. An evil spirit. But who are you? Somebody in the crowd. Somebody in the crowd. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon overpowered them and prevailed. And we're wondering why darkness is prevailing in the church today. Because people have turned what God used in a moment of revelation, a moment of insight. If any of you have ever been in a healing ministry, if you where God is really present, there are divine moments where the Lord will tell you, Teresa, pour oil. 
It's not up to me to describe to decide whether everybody should pour oil. All I know is that in that moment, God told me to do it. Oh my God. <laughs> Miracle signs and wonders are for the moment. Encounters only happen in divine timing. Not everything is supposed to be duplicated and not everything is for everybody. Oh my God. Oh my God. Not everything is for everybody. So is, is, is handkerchiefs of God, if you're like Paul, if you're called a Paul and it's not a fashion show, you're not trying to sell them. I mean, look, you're not trying to tell people that the Holy Spirit is abiding in a piece of cloth. If that's your message, you're lying. And that's not of God. Paul just used the moment in time. Paul moved according to his grace. There was no cell on anointing cloth. There was no oil bottled up. That's something else. Oh, God, I hope y'all can see the difference. I ain't finna pay for no prophecy. The devil is a liar. If God can speak to a stranger about me, he can speak to my mentor. He can speak to a homeless person on the street. You get no money from me. Keep feeding the circus. Keep going to mages and, and, and fortune tellers and no. Don't care who it is. The kingdom doesn't work like that. But when we don't teach our, our loved ones, when we don't teach and have good teachers who can walk you through the word and show you things you see every day, we're in trouble. All they're doing is preaching you from a dream they had. Something's wrong with that. It's frightening. That's more in line with Skeva. Oh my God. Let's move on. Last passage of scripture. Huh. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's a divine principle. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. That's a divine principle. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call upon the elders of the church. That's a divine principle. And let him pray over him. That's a divine principle. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's a divine principle. How can I say that? Because that's a principle of community. That's a local anointing where God knows that the people who are in eldership Based on what the Bible teaches, they're in a place of access and they have real oil, not just the oil in a bottle. They have real oil, not snake oil. Oh my God. There's a whole accountability model right here about that kind of stuff. I want you to see this and I want to challenge you. Go look at the other scriptures 
and the new covenant on anointing oil. Those things will line up with accountability. They'll line up with order in the house. They'll line up with leadership standards. They're not saying God can't use you on the street with a stranger and tell you to put oil on him. Don't twist this up. But most of what we see is not this. But you also need to know that all the oil is, is a symbol. All the prayer cloth is, is a symbol. They carry nothing by way of spirit. It is the anointing and the release of the people or the community that is before you that and their grace that ushers the presence of the Lord in by their obedience. Oh my goodness. Well, all I need is for God to heal me. I'm glad your faith is at that level, but God also ordained for the body to minister to the body because we are the conduits of the kingdom in the earth. Miracle signs and wonders have to come through people so that the union of the gospel can be fulfilled. That we are one with Christ. You shall do greater works than me. But it's not by us. It's not by any ability that I have. It's not by any, it's by the indwelling of the spirit. Paul dedicated his life to preaching and teaching. He met some guys on the street. Spent three months with them in their community. And then when their community rebelled against them and started teaching them something else, he pulled them out of the circus pulled them into a quiet place and took them with him so that they would not lose what they had been taught to the circus. And now we see the anointing oil of the new covenant, which is different than how they anointed in the old covenant. Because in the old covenant, God embodied objects. He would send his spirit to hover over and dwell in a place. They follow clouds. We don't follow clouds today. I hope we don't, because that might not be the Lord if you're following a dark cloud. We follow the indwelling of the spirit. We are the temple now. There is no more tabernacle. You should be led by the spirit. Oh my God. Listen what he says. <laughs> These are principles of oil. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. See, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not the prayer cloth, it's not the oil, it's not you throwing your money around, it's not you fasting for 50 years. Uh, it's faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. And I know people teach that, but listen. Oh my God, what's even more profound that goes right alongside faith? Faith in the obedient life. Paul had an obedient life. He had a sacrificial life. He had an unusual level of trust. Unusual. Unusual. Those 12, well, those 11, well, we say 12 because they did elect one. But then you have Paul comes along, comes along. What, what we have to begin to say, wow, 
what Paul exercised by faith, what he exercised by love, what he exercised by obedience activated a grace upon his life that allowed the Lord to use him that way. But that is not yours. <laughs> I mean, it's just not yours. It's just, it's just not. And trying to duplicate it according to what we just read is straight up witchcraft. If the Lord didn't tell you to do that. Right? Oh my goodness. Holy Spirit, scripture after scripture after scripture. And Christ's word told us that he was sending Holy Spirit to us. Not to hover over us. Not to hang around us but to live in us. We have the oil. We have the fragrance. In the name of Jesus, but that scripture is in the reality of, remember English Bibles translate. So if translate wrong, but the real under, in our language, we don't really get things, but the understanding of that passage, in my name, they will cast out devils, is right in the reality that Christ presented. They will cast out demons and heal the sick. And again, I mentioned to you all that that word demon translated in our scripture is not just imps and, and leprechauns and something with horns and a pitchfork. It, it's all darkness in your life. Any kind of darkness, including that kind. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then he says this, he said, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer, there we are, of the righteous, a man of faith and belief, obedience, trust. Yeah, God, we have hit and misses. God do stuff for us because we ask. But can you imagine what type of oil will pour from us when our mind is really the mind of Christ? Can you imagine? One of the things we're going to talk about on Sunday is how we pray from our mind and not praying from the mind of Christ. People pray for the mind of Christ. You're not supposed to just be, it says, put on the mind of Christ. We should be, we should have the mind of Christ when we pray. I'm going too far into Sunday's message. But we're supposed to be, our prayer life is predicated on our ability to pray from the mind of Christ, not from Teresa's mind. Oh. Oh. Oh my God, Lord, I need the mind of Christ to have an effect of prayer because if the mind of Christ is there, I'm going to pray your words. I'm going to pray like Jesus. I'm going to... Oh my goodness. Can God use oil? I always tell you guys that um, if you believe that you have to anoint your doorpost to keep evil spirits out, as a man thinketh, so is he. It works for you because that's where your faith is. Your faith is in the oil on that wall. Your faith is in that cloth. Your faith is in that seed. When all the Lord wants is for us to keep our eyes on them. 
He doesn't want us to put up the cross because we believe the cross is going to save us because it's hanging around our neck. That's a talisman. If that's how you're treating the cross, it's a talisman. It's an um, amulet. It's a rune. <laughs> it's not, I mean, come on, y'all. If, if you think that cross is going to protect you, that's what it is. If you think some olive oil that you prayed over is going to rid all the evil spirit, spirits out of your house, we've missed Jesus. We're practicing ancestral stuff at that point. I mean, hey, let's call it what it is. But when I... But that's that's how I was raised. I was taught that. Exactly. Might as well go on and pray to the universe. But this is the difference. And I want you to hear me. There are people who really love God and practice these things. What's the difference between them and an incense burner that's trying to clean the house out of evil spirits? The difference is, is they're in a pursuit toward God, even if it's religious. Where on the other side, those people have already made a choice. That's why I don't cuss and, and talk about Christians who do things because I know in my own life, I had things that I had to grow out of that I had practiced for years. I can't afford to put my mouth on anybody. I can't. But I mean, I look at stuff and I laugh and all I think and inside, I'm not laughing at them openly. I've gone to services and seen stuff like that. And I love those people and they love God, but you ain't doing that to me. I will leave before the service is over just to keep from having to run out of there when they call me up to pray for me. And so look, people will kill folks because they burning, it was this whole ridiculous conversation. Christians were fighting over whether to burn sage or not. And to me, that wasn't even an argument. <laughs> I mean, I would never do a Bible study on burning sage. Why? I would do a Bible study on um, like this so that people will understand why certain things are irrelevant and know the difference between the two so they can figure it out themselves. <laughs> I mean, Oh, God bless you all. Uh, God bless you all. Don't let it. You can, if you know, listen, you may have your favorite prayer cloth, but it's not the prayer cloth that's creating the presence. It's your faith. You may use anointed oil on all your body. Thank God that you won't be ashy anymore. It may comfort you. You know, you, you might feel the presence of the Lord because that's an act of prayer for you. But it's your faith that's really activating him. It's your faith. It's your faith. You'd be, you'd be surprised the kind of stuff Christians tell you. God had me pour oil all over myself. I'm glad. That's wonderful for you. I'm not doing that. Stuff too hard to get out my hair. I'm not doing that. <laughs> if the Lord tells me to do it, I will, but don't push that on me because he told you to do it. And after I hear you pray for yourself, I realize it's religion. 
It's not really a real move. Um, you can. There's nothing wrong with building a prayer altar or building a closet if that's what God has told you told you to do. Nothing wrong with it. But forcing other people to do it and telling other people that that's the only way to get their prayer through. If you believe that your prayer altar is needed for God to hear you, it's a problem. But if that is your quiet place, a place of intimacy, a place that God meets you, a place where you feel in touch with the Lord, that's safe. He gave you that. Keep that altar there. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I'm reading some of the comments. So don't take it down, you know, because you feel like it's, look at your motives. If the Lord told you to do that, but if you bought a book and they said how to build a prayer altar, and now you've gone out and got all this stuff, that's, that's, that's the conversation we're trying to have now. We don't need to be doing that. I remember when my son um, was born and he was in such critical condition. He was only uh, just, just over three pounds. And he was in the hospital so long and we were having such a hard, hard, hard time. And I couldn't touch him. And I was so concerned that he had to have um, physical touch. Um, and I was like, I wanted to anoint him. I felt the Lord say to me, but back then, 20 years ago, well, eight, 18 years ago when that happened, because he just turned 18, 18 years ago when that happened, where I was in my faith was not where I am now. So all I understood was anointing oil. All I understood was I'm believing that I had to anoint him because I needed to get a prayer through for his life. That's where I was spiritually. I begged the nurses. I begged the doctors. Can I, can I just anoint him? Can I just, they said, listen, we're going to let you do it, but just hold his feet. And to me, that was great because they were his feet. You know how we're taught about the feet and don't let nobody touch your feet when they pray for you. You know how we do in the church. And that's where, but that's where, that was my point of reference. So if a person's point of reference is there, I didn't know that I could pray just as strongly for him at home. I didn't know that I didn't have to lay hands. But in that moment, that's where God met me. And that's what I did. And God answered. But today, I know I have the faith because I, I, you know, I, I pray by faith and trust. I have the faith that if I couldn't be with somebody, if I can't be with my daughter, if I can't be with my grandson, my faith at the place that I am today knows that it is well. I, I have to trust that God has already done it. Have to. Have to trust that. So don't go and throw things away, dismantle, all of this, God understands. He's not out to get anybody for um, their talismans. <laughs> he understands that. But as we grow and as we mature, you won't see, you know, I like crosses. I like things like that, but I, I'm not collecting them because I believe they're warding off evil spirits. <laughs> you know, that's, 
I collect compasses, but those compasses only remind me of the importance of navigation. They have no power unless I give it to them and make them idols in my life. God bless you all. God bless you. God bless you. Father, I thank you for the teaching tonight. I pray in the name of Jesus that understanding came. I pray, Father, that if people have questions and they're not clear, that they don't mind asking me, Father, or asking those within the conservatory that has understanding or insight. There is no fear in asking questions, or there is no, I don't, I, I, I feel like my question is dumb, or I feel like we don't have that. Lord, whatever you do, Help us see in the conservatory that people can even challenge things as long as it's done respectfully. I like those kinds of conversations when they're in the right spirit. So Father, we just agree tonight that Jesus is the center. That Jesus is where our focus is. And you know, the Bible says Jesus Christ, but we know Jesus is who we're talking about. We know that when we say Christ, we're talking about Jesus and we know that. So let us not be confused over language. But we trust you, God, fully and completely with where we're at. No condemnation, but adventure as we take this journey with you. I laugh at myself when I look back at all my oil throwing. And I thank you for the times when it was divinely guided. And it was really you and it met the people where they were. I thank you. I thank you for the moments in time where you will have us use oil as a symbol and as a token of your promise to heal us. Father, I thank you that we can take a cloth in our hand and we can say, oh my God, this reminds me of the power that Paul walked in in that day and time. And Father, I thank you. When we don't see things repeated in scripture, it was probably a specific moment in time. It was probably a miracle because there's no principle that can uphold it in the life of Jesus or in the life of those that followed him. But it worked for him, God, because that is the grace that he walked under in that time. And the people of that time, they believed in those kinds of things. They needed symbols. They needed talisman. You didn't give them those things, but you met them with that handkerchief in a place that would bring understanding and cross them over in Jesus' name. They understood oil. They understood incense. They understood presence and clouds. But I thank you that Jesus, you embody all of it. You are, you embody everything and you sent us your spirit. You sent us the spirit of God to live on the inside of us. And the Bible says we have everything we need for life and godliness in Jesus name. Amen.